I was sitting in Denver in an intersection and I had no idea where I was. I couldn't find my way home. I didn't know where home was anymore. This is TBI Talking Brain Injury with Brain Injury Alliance Colorado, sharing stories from TBI survivors and their supporters from all across the state. My name's Phil Lindemann. I'm a mentor with BX since 2019 and four-time recipient of brain injuries I don't even remember, plus a whole bunch I kind of sort of do remember. Today, I'm talking with Monica. She's a BAC member and mentor from Loveland between Denver and Fort Collins on the Front Range. Monica has suffered multiple head injuries on the ski slopes and in the driver's seat of her car. But maybe her most debilitating traumas came when she was recovering from injuries in the form of a toxic relationship, addiction, and PTSD. At one time, she could hardly drive home without freezing up in fear, if she could even remember how to get home. Little by little though, Monica did rediscover her innate tenacity through yoga, meditation, creative writing, and even earning a degree in French while learning to play guitar. I don't have an off button, Monica tells me, and I believe it. There is no keeping this self-described unicorn down. Well, thanks again for joining us on the BIAC podcast. And today I'm joined by Monica. It's great to have you on here, Monica. Hey there, Phil. I could not wait to pick your brain about some things that uh, make you tick after meeting you through the BIAC writers course. We did kind of a, oh, for six or seven months there, we were going pretty strong with a creative writing course. Yeah, I had so much fun with it. It was very inspiring. So inspiring, I haven't written anything unless you're sitting right there whipping. Yeah. (laughs) I was going to ask you if the writing is still going well. I looked at the website today that, you know, that you had given us a plot, the plot uh, planner and some other stuff. So I actually did look. I cannot wait until you create the like the wizard's cookbook you had a story where you had like talking about the proper way to uh flambe a dragon heart (laughs) yeah okay well then i'll have to i'll have to start thinking about developing all that it's percolating it hasn't really gone away it's just uh life Uh, you know that is usually how my creative writing goes too uh it's the ideas are always there and i write them down like a madman i take copious notes so many notes. Um, so I've got lots of great first acts to stories. Hardly any of them actually wrap up. Yeah, I need to I need to work on my plotting unless well, I-, no, I like I like collecting metaphors and personifications. And I was dreaming about crystal pennies. Okay. As usual, I can't wait to see where half of this stuff goes. Uh, and uh, you got to remind me, how did you first get into creative writing? I've been writing since I was a little kid and uh, I still have some stuff. I have, I was into, I was into writing poetry. So I have it somewhere. I'd have to dig it out for you. I bet I did find it and it was from like fifth grade or something Uh, or maybe fourth grade. I don't remember now. And, uh, and I wrote poetry for a long time. And then um, when I was in high school, I was uh, one of my teachers, she uh, she nominated me to be in the the um, what do you call it the honors creative writing class. It was really fun. All right. But the program didn't stay funded for another year, so I had to I had to be with the boring English te- teacher who didn't like me. So she made it really clear. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> you yeah. probably didn't woo her over with your poetry, but um, I'd say that she needs to uh, take another look at it. We got to track down the fifth grade English teacher. Oh, I'm old enough for those folks are not around anymore. But in fact, my teachers in grade school were quite elderly at the time. So I can't imagine they'd be with us anymore. But I had another English teacher I thought was amazing. I went back to see her after high school. Her name was Mrs. Shelley. And she created in me a love for Ernest Hemingway. And uh, I was always so impressed because she was she she read about the pics and they tattooed themselves so she tattooed her hand <laughs> and so i thought that was really great you know i wish i could remember the names of some of those teachers but i definitely have a teacher from uh oh junior year of high school and man totally spaced in his name but yeah he was the one who got me into really reading short stories that tends to be what i read most these days partly because i never had the attention span for full-length novels and also because, you know, after banging my head a bunch, um, I really don't have the attention span for full-length novels. It takes me six to seven months to finish one 200-page book. So You do what I do. I read part of a book and then read another part of another book. And <laughs> I, I've usually got a rotation of about six months. I have like 10 books that I rotate through. Yeah, so I start putting books on my Kindle, so I... I could at least when I'm traveling could read whatever I feel like, you know, parts of what I want to read. So oh, the, the Kindle is a game changer when I finally got one of those things. Yeah, definitely. Well, in that way, the um, it's a little bit harder because I've got the old, old school Kindle. Um, the one that, you know, is still like you use arrows to move around. There's no, you know, no. Oh, you have an older one. Yeah, They, they tend to not, uh, they, you can't, they don't download anymore. So you have to, so yours is probably when they made them really well. Oh, and yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's know. a horse. It 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 has survived. Uh, it survived more falls than my head, I think. <laughs> oh, because I got a brand new Kindle, and the first thing I did was drop it, and it broke the screen. I had to get another one. So I yeah. So they're not made as robust as the early ones were. Oh, so. bummer. bummer. You know, you were you were a mentor, weren't you? Yep. Yeah, and I still am. Mm-hmm. Okay, because I met you on a mentors meeting once, uh, early, early on in uh, BIAC. I was just thinking about that. So Yeah, I had the pleasure on the very first podcast to get together with one my very first uh, peer. And uh, we, we got to reminisce and talk about, you know, catch up on things. And, um, and of course, uh, it was fun for me to see how he's doing these days and hear about his new job. I mean, it's one of those things that I've really enjoyed about BIAC is that um, we still have not met each other in person. We have not met each other face to face, but we can still fall into it like old friends when we get the chance to get on the phone, you know, it's because it's what we are, you know. It, well, I, I, um, I have, I have friends who haven't adapted well to the zoom thing, but I did. I had no, well, I was already doing lots of stuff digitally anyway. So we go, we have a timeshare condo and Dylan, we stay on the first week of December. So I'll call you when we come up next time to ski. So yeah, give me a shout. Yeah, that would be fun to meet in person. I just met Zach for the first time in person. That was super cool. Oh, great. Cool. I love it. Well, Monica, so Monica, where do you live um, full time? I live in Loveland, Colorado. Okay. 
Loveland. So uh, for folks that aren't from Colorado, they always get Loveland Pass and Loveland confused and why there's a pass. Yeah, pretty far apart. Um, <laughs> we're about, we're no, 50 miles north of Denver, sort of. Yes. Yeah. Okay, great. But you got a, a condo up in Dillon, which is my neck of the woods, Summit County. How long have you had the place in Dillon? Um, we have a couple of them. And we, this one we've had for a few years. The other one, uh, like 30 years. So. Yeah consistently doing the uh the escape to the mountains thing tell me summer or winter do you got a preference on what time to escape up to the dylan condo winter winter <laughs> hands down i loved i love summit county in the summer but if i'm gonna invest my time and energy i want to be there needs to be snow involved and me bringing my skis Monica, that's why we get along. That is that is the whole reason I live up here. <laughs> I mean, I just, I, ever since I was a kid growing up in Denver, I um, winter was always my favorite season. And I always wanted to be in the mountains. And even if we were up here summer hiking, I would find the patch of snow and go romp around in that thing um, in the middle of July. Because, yes, in Breckenridge, you can still find snow if you walk far enough. In the middle of oh, I walked through uh, when I used to back long before I got injured and everything. I used to we used to pack day day hike and stuff into snowfield in the summer. It was super mm -hmm. fun. Oh yeah, I love it. Well, and I'm thinking, um, uh, oh, every single Fourth of July, I try to make it a tradition to head up to the top of Peak Ten, which is Fourth of July Bowl, and walk up there with the snowboard, take one run, call it good, go down, have a barbecue. Like that is just, um, I, I, I mean, I, I gotta, I gotta get July snow under my feet. I can't say no. Why would you no? There's don't say no. Say yes. Yes. <laughs> I yeah. agree. I agree. Uh, how long have you skied? Lifelong skiers. That's something. Well, I skied not, I skied off and on since I was in my twenties. I moved from New Mexico here and, um, I had never skied, to this day, I've not skied in New Mexico, so that's really interesting, but it just hasn't turned out to be. And uh, I was an okay skier, but I never had any technique. I just sort of flung myself down the mountain, and then I had my accident, and I got really unwell, hmm. um, got really heavy, and um, was in a lot of pain, and so I met the guy I'm with now, and uh, he's great. And he's a fantastic skier, but uh, he, we tried some skiing, but I'd have to run. My legs hurt so bad. I'd have to ride this, the bunny runs and just to get an experience. And then I dumped all the weight, got in shape. Finally, after I got it, I got a clue, you know, that it's a, it's a mind, body, spirit thing. And um, one day he announced we were going to ski again. I'm like, Oh boy. And he created, he released the Kraken. So, um, <laughs> and, I and it's not, he's a, a fantastic skier. He's very patient, but he's, and I'm in a relationship with him. He's a terrible person to take all your lessons from. So I got involved with Ignite Adaptive Sports. And I had a lot of, I have a lot of PTSD and anxiety and they helped me so much to the point that I was in, we went up to a basin early March. And nobody said a word to us. So we thought, oh, we'll just go to the top of the mountain. What the hell? You know, it was a complete whiteout. I mean, it was so bad. I couldn't see my hands. 
and you could hear people cussing up the mountain going, oh, 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 you know, and it, people stopping because I would, you know, all you could do was a little bit, even the best skiers for only, even Rick, everybody was going down. And I got vertigo and stuff because I couldn't tell where the sky was and or the or the the ground. I could I could feel it, but it's such a weird and odd sensation. It tricks your mind, and I didn't freak out. I just went like, "Well, we got such a fine mess you got me in this time, Ollie." And I got down the mountain, and uh, I felt kind of sick from all the vertigo. So we sat in the the mid lodge for a while, but then I kept on skiing. So. <laughs> you know, and I and that wasn't a disaster, you know. So yeah, well, uh, I've had that exact same experience at Breckenridge too, where yeah, you get up high and it really does feel like you lose. I mean, you know, you're standing on top. All of All sensation, yeah. yeah. You, you know, you're standing on top of a mountain, but you might as well be, you know, walking through the ocean or something because it's well. Just- and I couldn't one. I could even. I couldn't even stand without just toppling over because i just be like yeah it was so disorienting yeah so 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 tell me one of your head injuries was skiing or more than one well i did have one um early on Mm -hmm. when i moved to colorado and um a guy was skiing out well we were all drinking but a guy was skiing out of control and I was crisscrossing really slowly, and all my friends could do at the bottom was see it happen. Mm. And when he hit me, you know, we didn't wear helmets in those days, but I lost, it was a yard sale. I didn't have, it lost my, my gloves, my, my skis, my everything was all over the mountain. And uh, I survived that, but that was definitely a bad thing. You know, today yeah. they'd lose their path, so... Well, and I, I hear so much of that these days because um, up in the mountains, I, I do news for a local radio station. And so anytime there is a serious accident, I usually hear about it. And especially anytime somebody gets killed. Um, this year, we did not have a single fatality from skier on skier collision, which is the first time in a very long time that I can remember. It was. Uh, uh, that's great because. Yeah, I still remember it um, pretty well. And of course, being stupid young people that party all the time, I didn't go to the hospital or anything. But, uh, it was definitely a problem. Yeah, you woke up, <laughs> collected your stuff, yelled at the guy. Yeah, the guy asked. Yeah, and then my friends are kept going like, well, "We, have, you have to stay awake. We're going to make sure you stay awake the whole way down because they were afraid that." I mean, that was a smart thing to do. And I kept, they kept, I kept trying to, we, he hit my head. I mean, it was bad. It was bad enough to consider it as a concussion and a, a problem. So. Oh yeah. I'll, I'll bet. And I mean, like you said, that was back in the days before uh, helmets. Um, I was talking to a ski coach the other day, um, like, like a ski racing coach. And, you know, even back in the day, they used to ski race without helmets. Mm-hmm. He says these days, the kids, they grab skis, poles, helmet. They don't even think twice about leaving the helmet home. They just always grab it. It's part of the kit and they don't, they don't fight the coaches on it. They don't fight the parents on it. They just, it's just second nature to them, which to me, that is a huge win that we've got, you know, kids out there protecting themselves without realizing they're protecting themselves, or maybe they do. And they just say, you know, it would be dumb for me to go out without this helmet on. Yeah. Well, the helmets are so cool now. 
So uh, I, I mean, I have, since I had the real brain, the, the car accident brain injury, I, I don't do anything without a helmet. I don't ride a horse. I don't ride a bike. I don't, you know, I'm a, I'm all, I got helmets all the time. So. Oh, I've had concussions all through my life, sports related concussions, but my big one was, you know, snowboarding. And, um, ever since I recovered from that one, I had some friend, a, a buddy who I see once a year, he said, I will buy you a case of beer as long as I do not see you without a helmet ever again in your life. You know? And, and so I said, all right, great. I, I can promise you that I will wear that helmet everywhere I go. And you owe me a case of beer every time I see you. And so every time I see him, he pays up. <laughs> he asked me, have you been wearing the helmet? You wear it every time. I'm like, I definitely do, man. And uh, yeah, he pays up. Well, it, the, um, it started to worry me too. Uh, I don't know. I shouldn't watch. The, I was watching 60 Minutes. Mm-hmm. And what do they call that? The concussions, concussive syndrome that the football players get? Oh, CTE. So, yeah. And so I actually contacted the institute that they interviewed and they said, you should go see a neurologist. And if you're concerned and, and the neurologist I went to see said, you have to have like 200 hits or something to, and I've had like six majors you know, I lose count, but the, the biggie was the car accident. So Yeah. Well, d- did you want to share about the car accident? What happened? Mm-hmm. In, in That's the fine. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm a ways away from it, but it still lives with me always. I, um, I, I well, I, 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 did, I, I commuted to Denver and I was a lighting designer and, um, I lived in Greeley and, uh, I went to see a job because I worked out in the field a lot. I went out to, on a site to see a job and I was driving back to my house, driving 30 miles an hour and parts of it I don't remember too well. I don't remember, but I know that um, a drunk driver took my right away and plowed into the front of my car at, and it broke the axle and um my seatbelt failed and I broke my sternum and got all kinds of weird things happened. So it, that was the beginning of the new journey. So um, when it first happened, what was, if you can remember, what was more difficult? Was it the, uh, you know, the mental recovery or the physical recovery? It's been both because um, I have a lot of injury. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in rehab for five years. And, you know, I, I talk about this. I, I don't know if you know, there's a, there's a, a, a meeting online called Brain Chat. And I talked about the other day, there was a lawsuit. And I, I wasn't really, you know, I, I was kind of like going through the motions of going to work and, and, and trying to keep up because I had a sick child who ended up getting a kidney transplant. And, but because it was involved in, there was a lot of players in this lawsuit. Um, that I got really good care, but you know, there was some stuff like I should have had better attention to the brain injury hmm. and not so much, not as, I mean, there should have been more. And you know what, what happened right away was I couldn't find my way home. I didn't know where home was anymore. I'd be like, I was sitting in Denver in a, an intersection and I had no idea where I was. I had no idea how to get out of it. 
so things started like that started happening and then I couldn't talk right I was I'd try to say insurance and I'd say something that started with I like intersection and I couldn't write e- well it was early in the email thing but I gave up on the emails because I just it just be googly gook and there wasn't a lot of uh correction stuff and um so they sent me to us I do think that the neurologist is sending me to a specialist I had PTSD up bad mm-hmm. to the point that I couldn't drive where there were big trucks and um so she did a lot of testing and she said you will never be able to you've got enough damage you'll never um be able to do mathematics very well again and she was right I I never I I can't do it in my head too much but and I was in a really crappy relationship Mm. and he thought that he got really hostile after three months and he says why can't you just pull yourself up by the bootstraps so it it was a bad and dark 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 time in my life uh all together so i I can't believe i and i'm here now from there you know so i'm so happy that you did find a way to move from there to where you are right now what when did you start to notice or i guess what moves did you make to really start helping yourself out like you said i imagine that lawsuit was it was it against a medical provider that that you know it was against uh, the other person's insurance company she had five priors already got it and she was in um uh, she had <laughs> she had car insurance for five days for high risk drivers and the district attorney got involved in it. I think she probably, I think there were some serious consequences that I didn't want to know. I let my attorney take care of it. Yeah. Um, tell me, repeat the question again. Um, what were some of those first steps that you started taking that, that really helped your recovery? Um, no. the, the mental recovery, you know, like you said, so that you could get beyond losing track of where you were while driving a car or uh... well it took time mm-hmm. but um god it's just like being in a the purple haze you know uh it it it's it didn't feel like i didn't feel like i was running my own life there was all, this neurologist but it, you know in his defense i got lots of physical therapy mm-hmm. and he put me on antidepressants and um later on it it just oh god how i explain all this it was just a mess and and uh my son get so what happened was my son got his transplant i mean i i was in i was in all kinds of rehab i was going to you know massage therapist and this and that and this uh specialist and ptsd Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention 9-11 happened a year after my accident. And I, w- I, I felt like I went back to the beginning again. So, oh, wow. I, yeah. So uh, all these things resetting you and resetting you. Yeah, I kept being a reset, a reset, a reset. Yeah. And my son finally got a transplant. I got out of the relationship, okay. forced my way out. It was uh it was quite a situation and um i had before a year before my son's uh transplant i started doing yoga and i started meditating and i had a teacher a buddhist teacher and um that right there was the beginning 
I think. So I, I owe a lot to the meditation practice and yoga practice, which helped me so much with the pain and the emotional stuff. Yeah. When you have PTSD, it's just the gift that keeps on giving all the time, you know, and um, the oddest things would happen. It just, it would pop up in yoga classes and I would have all these visions. I started having visions like a lotus coming out of my heart and doves and, you know, there was a lot of really transformational stuff starting to happen. Um, but the, uh, I, I, so I actually qualified and was able to do a second degree in French. So I did a second degree in French and that helped me start tracking my, my I couldn't track my eyes would ch shake uh -huh. back and forth and that I, I haven't really done a whole lot with it except I speak it all the time to my, you know, I practice all the time. Wait, and, hold, uh, hold on. So you, you lost math, but you gained French. Yeah. French. And it took me 10 years to be able to play my guitar, but I am playing my guitar now. I couldn't keep a beat uh, for 10 years. And then, but I kept trying and I got that back. It's been a slow process. So uh, after that was 2012 and after 2012, Oh, no, it was 2009 when uh, I lost my job, my last real job, because they couldn't put that. They were not, no way are they going to, I couldn't do this and I couldn't do that. You know, they, they wouldn't, they weren't very nice. And um, I went to see, uh, let's call a functional doctor. And so then I started changing my diet. And then I started, uh, Kind of, it just was a little bit at a time, and everything was important to my brain. Like the language, language and music accesses some a part in your brain that's amazing. Sound therapy, all of that, and now I can tell you, looking back, that it all, it was all important. Yeah, I guess that was kind of an unfair question to say. What was the one thing that kicked it off? Well, it was. It seemed like some life changes, like you said, your son knowing that he was going to be on the right track and then also getting out of that awful relationship, taking care of those two big outside influence things and then the mind, body, spirit. Yeah, and I, I just made, a, I just kept at it. I kept working at it and trying to find things that worked with my, um, well, my my fibromyalgia, that, that it was a result of all this and so I, I, I dropped a bunch of weight, uh, going on eight years now, right. and um, kept it off. And then <laughs> of all the things, because I'm actually kind of a, I don't know, moderation, you know, person. So I shattered one of my toes. We're doing yoga with and doing some stuff with some weights. <laughs> and I couldn't cycle last. So I started using weight. I started lifting weights at home because I couldn't go. I couldn't ride my bike. And I ended up like finding mental strength I never had, never had that mental strength. And from and it, who knew it comes from all this? So this is really building it up. So um, yeah, so it was it was all important. You've got no quit in you. I <laughs> think I don't have a I don't have an off button. No, I'm I'm very I'm fatigued and I can't do as much you know since the accident, but. 
uh, like today I was just thinking it's hot and I feel fatigued, you know, I'm like, and, uh, I don't know what moderation is. So, um, yeah. So, you know, I can't ride my bike. I'm not going to lay on the couch. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to figure out how to work out with weights. You know, even though that's what caused the problem. So yeah. <laughs> you, you just got to step a little further back when that weight comes down towards the top. Well, I, I'm at, I rack my weights now. I don't leave them on the floor. Yeah, yeah. I learned my lesson. Yeah. <laughs> no, t- tenacity. I mean, it really does go such a long way. Uh, you know, I, it's what, who is it? Uh, I think it's, who wrote that? Uh in the middle of winter, I found in me an invincible summer. Oh, I am not sure. Let's. Um, we'll... I have to because I get confused. Albert, uh, the philosopher Camus, I think he wrote the Journey of a Thousand Steps. No, I believe that was Camus. Maybe that was Camus. I'll have to look it up now. By the way, Monica's memory was spot on. That is Albert Camus. The closer translation from French: In the midst of winter, I found there was within me. An invincible summer. Okay. But I did. I thought I was, uh, I felt like I was afraid of everything. And then I found out that it was there all along. I love that mentality because, um, you know, speaking of yoga, it's one of those things that um, I definitely got into a lot um, because, you know, I just, um, I didn't want to lose uh, any. I didn't want to lose my ability to go snowboard still or go biking or do all these things that I find to be like medicines, you know, playing outside is definitely my, my number one medicine, but to stay healthy and strong for it, I've got to do the yoga. I've got to stretch it out. I've got to um, also find that, you know, that uh, mind body connection I'm still working on. And the one mantra that I always come back to every single time is dedication, discipline, and direction. You know, that the dedication, dedication is the easy part. You dedicate yourself to something, you'll, you'll, you'll keep on doing it. You know, you stay dedicated to it. You'll keep on doing it. The discipline's the hard one. Discipline is the tough one to find, you know, the days that you feel fatigued or the day that you don't want to do it, or, you know, you just feel like doing something easier that day. Yeah. Those are the days that are the tough ones. And then I feel like if you can, if you can, find the dedication and the discipline to do whatever it is you're doing, then you'll find the direction and it'll take you where you want it to take you. Um, well, and, um, I just recently became a, a master certified life coach just because oh, right. I would like to, I know, because I'd like to help people. It was my peer that encouraged me to do this, by the way. She's up now somewhere, Mintern. She's living in Mintern now. All right. So, um, she's a runner. Um, and uh, a, for a fitness person too. So yeah, she so, was a super, super fitness person. Cool. So from a, a newly certified life coach, um, your your best piece of advice for any BIAC uh, folks that are out there listening to this podcast right now, you know, when it comes to recovery or maybe dealing with, um, oh, I don't know, a new injury, old injury, uh, new outcomes, um, I guess, w- what's some good advice? <laughs> I'm going to put you on. Well, first of all, life coaches actually don't give advice. They they draw everything out of you with a question, pertinent questions, not just any old question. But what I can say is that I found out that anyone can live a limitless life. And I mean, I have limits, but everything was my mindset. I, you know, I shouldn't be doing this because I'm too old. I shouldn't be doing this, blah, blah, blah. 
you know, and I've just gone like, oh, who cares? I'm just going to do it now. And I survived all this. But I, I mean, like, these are my superpowers, you know, and uh, yeah. yeah, that's what I would tell. I would tell anyone. I said that find that what your superpower is and, and then own it. Um, if you're a unicorn like me, be a unicorn, you know. Yeah. Put more color on, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. You might as well let everybody know you're a unicorn. Be the uh, biggest, baddest, boldest unicorn out there. And have oh. fun. If you're not having fun, it's not worth it. So. Yeah, I was I was talking with another one of our uh, our mentors in BIAC, and she said, you know, one way that she's found to deal with um, well, the hardest times is laugh. Just let you know, if, if you're not having fun. Well, and I have a serious meditation practice now. So I'm, I, I meditate every day for 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. and I do have a meditation teacher now all the time. So very cool. Great. All these things, such good tactics. And a it's, lot of them are. It's, the, it's, the, it's your diet. You can't, you're going to have to. It's, so it, it's all, it's everything. Health, so it's mind, body, and spirit. You got to take care of this. I had addiction problems. I had serious ones and I got, I'm clean and sober for going on 14 years now. So, Congratulations, um, yeah. yeah, so I don't do sugar. I don't do alcohol. Um, I get, but I have a lot of fun and, you know, a lot of, a lot of vegetables, a lot of, uh, you know, some fruit, um, not, a lot of, and I'm a, I turns out I'm a celiac, so I'm allergic to all kinds of, I, almost everything. So, and uh, so, yeah, just, so I, I, I accidentally, or maybe I was led this way. No, I, I, I love it. Well, now you're making me hungry talking about um, some of those good eats. One last question for you. The last delicious meal that you had, the last best meal. And I had some artichokes and last night I decided to, I have an Instapot. I decided to look up and see how to cook them in the Instapot. Oh my God, I will never cook artichokes in anything else ever, ever again. So you put lemons on the bottom mm -hmm. and water and there's a little rack. And I put, you know, you, I put like uh, Italian spices and some salt and they get, and you turn them upside down. You cut the top, you cut them so they're kind of flat on the bottom and um, you turn upside down. OMG, they were the, the leaves that meat was cooked all the way to the tips mm. like you know and it was and they were flavored like the water Ooh, so you could spice it up however you want to however you want it and there was some gar fresh garlic in there too so that was uh part of my last good meal i had uh i had some ham with it and um i don't remember everything i had but it was you know, however, I have, you know, I load up on the veggies. So, but those artichokes, you're going to remember that. Now, the one thing I've learned with the Instapot, how long did you put it in for? Was it five minutes? Um, I found a recipe online and it was like, I want to say 16 minutes or 25 minutes. It oh. wasn't a long time. Okay. And then I had stuff to do. So I just let them sit there. Yep. So, oh, the Instapot is, that thing is life changing. Game changer. I know. Well, Monica. As always, good chatting with you. Stay well. Hopefully, I'll see you sometime this summer. Yeah, we'll have to make that happen. Bye, guys. Right. See ya. If you have a story of survival or know someone who does, I want to hear from you. 
Reach out to Zach or any of the BEAC professionals, and they will put you in touch with me. Again, it's Phil Lindemann, your host, here on TBI, Talking Brain Injury, from Brain Injury Alliance, Colorado.